Holy Father, is that why you send the word that you send? That you might rescue the perishing? Because you care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Oh, Father, let us never forget that truth. Make it clear this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's embarrassing to read someone else's mail. I walked into my office once and there was somebody standing by my desk reading my letters. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Maybe I'm in the wrong place. Karen walked into the kitchen once and found me reading one of her letters. I wasn't reading. I was holding it up to the light to see what in the world is in this. It's embarrassing to read someone else's mail. Which is why we're going to blush a little, I have a feeling, today. As together we read someone else's letter. But the blushing will not come because we've been caught reading the letter. I have a feeling that we might blush because we'll discover the letter is about us. The postmark on the letter is very old, but I'm telling you, it could just as well read 2000 A.D. It's to a congregation in a faraway Turkish town called Sardis. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus sent it. Let's read the letter from Jesus. Open your Bible, please, to the shining summit, the last book of the Bible, the Apocalypse, Revelation. Let's read these words. If you have a red-letter Bible, they ought to be in red because Jesus wrote these words, so to speak. He spoke them into this letter. Revelation chapter 3, a very short letter. We'll read it in its entirety together. I'm in the New Revised Standard Version. That's what will be up on the screen. You follow in the translation you brought. And to the angel, or that could be the messenger, of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of Him who has the seven spirits of God. Apocalyptic symbol for Holy Spirit. And the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Verse 3, remember then what you received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Yet you have still a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, if you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. I will confess your name before my Father and before His angels. Finally, verse 6, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Quite frankly, there is a single line in this letter that disturbs me this morning. Honestly, five weeks ago, I would not have been disturbed at all 
But then it was that I stumbled quite unintentionally and unexpectedly upon a startling new concept. I had never run across this before. I hadn't read any book where anybody else had articulated it. And now here I am in a book that doesn't even belong to me. Now I can tell by the title of the book and the subject matter, I'm already an authority on this, I think to myself. So I'll just skim it fast. I skimmed all the way to around page 500 when suddenly, mentally, the brakes went on because that idea was there, brand new for me. And now slowly, word for word, I begin to read again. A few days later, I went out and bought the 600-page tome, rather foreboding, 30 bucks. But over the holiday, I've had a chance to go through it. And I have returned to this concept over and over again. The clue to this stunning teaching is found in a single line in this letter you and I have just read. I want to read that line. It's verse 3. Go back. Your Bible's still open. Revelation 3. Just keep your Bible open there. Verse 3. Remember then what you have received and heard, Jesus says in this letter. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. I will come like a thief. That's hardly a new concept for anybody who's read the New Testament. Come on, you, 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 you have read that. You have run into that. In fact, in this same book, if you want to turn over here to uh, chapter 16, same book, Jesus speaks the same words. Near the end of the seventh plague, what a place to put these words. Near the end of the seventh plague, it is a parenthetical insertion. The words should be in red in your Bible if you have a red letter edition. Revelation 16, verse 15, parentheses around it. See, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and is clothed, not going about naked and exposed to shame. Twice in this book, the thief in the night metaphor is used by Christ himself. Ah, you know that in the New Testament that is not a strange theme. In fact, let's put them on the screen because I don't want us to take the time looking them up. Let's go. Jesus Himself in the Gospels will use this theme. This is Matthew 24, 43 and 44. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, don't you think the owner would have been up with that 20-gauge shotgun ready for the guy? But He didn't know. He would have stayed up awake and He would not have let His house be broken into going on. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Jesus uses the metaphor. Paul, not to be outdone, also embraces the metaphor and he includes it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5. These are verses 2 through 4. For you yourselves know, Paul writing to us Christians, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Come upon them how? As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape. I want to hold it right there. You know what, folks? I, those words we read just a moment ago. When they say peace and safety, I think the King James is peace and safety, isn't that it? When they say peace and safety, peace and security, look out. Don't you get hunkered down and thinking just because the economy is shooting out of the roof, that means hunky-dory time for at least X amount of chapters. Forget it. When they say peace and safety, look out. Like a woman in labor, bang, it's coming. And you can't stop it once it's coming. All right? Was there one more verse, I think, on that? Let's go on to the next one. Let's go to Peter. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. Okay, now Peter will also embrace this thief of the night metaphor. Second Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. I tell you what, 
Anybody who's read the New Testament knows that the thief in the night metaphor is hardly a new novel concept. In fact, everybody who's a, can we say this, little a Adventist. That means not a member of a denomination. Just, you believe in the soon coming of Christ. Every Christian believes. Yep, I know the thief in the knife metaphor. Know it very well. So, you say, oh, come on, preacher. Do I, what, do you, what, what do you say? What, what is so new and provocative about this? Fair question. In search for the answer, let's turn to the words. Here, here Jesus has words in a letter, but let's turn to the words of Jesus in the upper room. On the eve of his execution, he makes that stirring, that really stunning promise. Now, these words are printed in your bulletin on, a, on the center panel for our, uh, our responsive scripture. I'm going to also go ahead and put them up on the screen. I love these words. From, this is from Eugene Peterson's The Message. You know the message, his translation. You'll see why I'm particularly drawn to this translation in just a moment. Let's go to uh, John chapter 14. And I'm gonna, let's just run some verses out. We'll read it off the screen. Hang on to your worship bulletin because you can keep this collection. But let's read it off the screen. This will be John chapter 14, verse 16. From the message, I will talk to the Father and He will provide you another what? See, that's why I love it. He will provide you. You see it? He will provide you another friend. Now, those of you that have the old King James, the, the Greek word here is parakletos, one who is called to the side of, uh, a helper of sorts. And the King James, what is it called? Who, how is he called in the King James? It's called a comforter. You're right. If you have an NIV, it's counselor. My translation here is advocate. But I love the way, let's put it back up there. I love the way Peterson uses the word friend. I will talk to the Father, Jesus is speaking. And He will provide you with another friend so that you will always have someone with you. Let's read it. Just catch the next line. This friend is the Holy Spirit. Jesus looks into our face. By the way, this is the eve of His death. I would be thinking about the suffering I'm about to enter into. He is not thinking about Himself at all. All Christ can think about is His friends who come after Him. He said, I have some very good news for you. After I die, when I go back to heaven, you're going to get a friend. This friend is the Spirit of truth. Now, let's go on. Uh, this would be chapter 14, verse 17. Let's go on. The godless world can't take him, this friend, in because it doesn't have eyes to see him, doesn't know what to look for. But you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. You know what, folks? Jesus is saying, hallelujah, this friend I'm sending to you is not encumbered by a body. He can get inside of you. In fact, that's why Paul will come along and call our bodies the temple of whom? Temple of? The Holy Spirit. I'm sending this friend. Nobody. He comes straight into you. Let's do another one. This would be chapter 14, verse 26. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all things I have told you. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is a teacher. I have a feeling he's a tenured professor as well. He is the teacher. And when he teaches, predominantly, he teaches of Christ. Let's do another one. Let's go to chapter 15, verse 26. When the friend I plan to send you from the Father comes, the Spirit of truth issuing from the Father, He will confirm everything about me. You too, from your side, must confirm everything about me. Ladies and gentlemen, mark it down in your mind, if not in your notes right here. The Holy Spirit is the most Christ-centered being in the universe outside of Jesus Himself. Do you like to have Christ-centered friends? You know, I find when I review my list of friends... Those friends who are Christ-saturated, who are Christ-centered, are the kind of friends that are always lifting me. I don't do anything for them. I'm sure I'm a drag on their lives. But I'm telling you, they're just like a wind beneath my wings. Jesus is saying, ha, 
I'm going to send you a friend. He's the most Christ-saturated friend you could humanly have in this life. Wow. Okay, let's, let's just do one more. What is this? This is chapter 16, verse 7. So, let me say it again. Now, this is great. Let me say it again. This truth. It's better for you that I leave. Oh, no, no, Jesus, stay with us. No, 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 no. It's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want to read to you a beautiful, beautiful, most beautiful line out of Desire Ages. Some of you are jotting these references down. This is Desire of Ages, page 669. Isn't this glorious? Uh, let, let me read. We'll put it on the screen for you. Cumbered with humanity, Christ could not be in every place personally. Therefore, it was for the disciples' interest that He should go to the Father and send the Spirit to be His successor on earth. No one could then have an advantage because of his or her location or his or her personal contact with Christ. By the Spirit, the Savior would be accessible to all. Now, I want you to catch the punchline. In this sense, He would be nearer to them than if He had not ascended on high. I'll tell you what, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you this friend. And because I am... We're going to be closer together than if I had stayed on this earth myself. Wow! What a gift! I am going to send you a forever friend. By the way, the Greek reads that, to be with you forever. We've, we've talked, in, haven't we, in, you and I, somewhere along the way, talked about a forever friend. Here is the real forever friend. He will be with you forever. Listen. This friend will not only live in you, he will live for you. He will be a friend who will teach you. He will lead you. He will guide you. And I like Peterson's words we read a moment ago. Into all the truth there is. All the truth there is. What a gift. Huh? I mean, this friend. What a friend. Now, let, jot this down. Please make no mistake about it. The Holy Spirit is not some wimpy little Casper the Holy Ghost. Huh? The Scriptures are clear as they describe the mighty third person of the Godhead. He is the very embodiment of the Father. He is the very embodiment of Jesus without a body. Walks through walls. Well, how many of you have friends like that? Walks through walls, walks through you. Reads your mind. Speaks your language. Taps your conscience. Knows your future. Knows your past. Loves you anyway. Loves you always. The best friend you'll ever have as if you were the best friend He ever had. Wow! Can you believe this? And what is so glorious? Well, can you think about this. He can be all of this to all of us simultaneously. Same time. You think you're alone with Him? I think I'm alone with Him. He's six billion children. He still abides with you as if you were His only friend in the universe. I say, what a friend. What do you say? Come on. What a friend. You know what? On the basis of Christ's authoritative promise to us there in the upper room, we should not only be singing what a friend we have in Jesus, we ought to be singing what a friend we have in the Spirit. What a gift from Jesus. The Holy Spirit. And by the way, no sooner has Jesus ascended to heaven, secure on the throne of the universe, boom, Ten days later, the promise He made in the, upper, in, the, in the upper room, that promise is poured out. The gift of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I love this. One author said, you, you know what Pentecost is? Pentecost is, I put it on the screen, the Bethlehem of the Holy Spirit. You get, do you get the metaphor? Bethlehem was when Christ came. Now, Holy Spirit said, hey, my turn. 
Pentecost is the Bethlehem of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you're right, of course, of course. The Spirit has been with us from the very beginning. What is it? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And the Spirit hovered over the deep. The Spirit has always been here. But my friends, Pentecost marked the inauguration of a brand new chapter in the Spirit's partnership with the friends of God on earth. We could essentially say Pentecost is the first coming of the Holy Spirit. First coming. You Take the fifth book of the New Testament. Fifth book. Do you know what it's called? In the King James and in the New Revised Standard Version, you know what the book is called? It's called the Acts of the Apostles. That is a misnomer. <laughs> it's not the Acts of the Apostles. The book should be named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I'm reading the book of Acts through right now. In fact, I'm doing something kind of neat. Pass it on to you for what it's worth. I'm reading the three, the three great narrative books of Scripture simultaneously. Genesis, oh, that's the beginning. Matthew, the grand gospel. And Acts, the story of the New Testament. You know what? If you read two chapters a day in Genesis and just one from Matthew and one from Acts, you can simultaneously come to the end of those three books in just one month. And as I'm reading through Acts, you know what I'm doing? I'm circling. Every time I come across the Holy Spirit, circle, circle, Spirit, circle, keeping the tally at the top of every chapter. Because I have a feeling by the time I'm through, I just read chapter 15 today, but I have a feeling by the time I get to chapter 28, I'm going to find out that there are more men, more, the Holy Spirit is mentioned more in the book of Acts than any other single book in the entire Scripture, perhaps combined all the books together. Without question, Pentecost is the first coming of the Holy Spirit. The question now that presses to the foreground is this. Okay, if Pentecost is the first coming, when is the second coming of the Holy Spirit? I want to share a text with you right now that you haven't read. Some of you have never read this text in your life. But I want to go there. In fact, we'll go there in our Bibles. Just a few books, few books back to the little book epistle of James. Find James chapter 5, please. You never read this before. Some of you, it's been a long time since you've read it. I want to go back to that. Let's go back to James chapter 5. James 5. Let's pick it up in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, some of you that have the King James, it probably doesn't it read the latter rains, the early and the latter rains. Same, latter, late, same. Verse 8, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't miss James' point. When you see those late rains, when the latter rains come, the last rains, James is declaring, we may know that the coming of Christ is immediately at hand. It is nigh. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, and we had to just go ahead. We, we, we got into this series last week. I want to just, a, a very quick synopsis. And by the way, if you weren't here last week, I wish you'd just cross the street. Just cross the street tomorrow at the ABC. Pick up a copy of the study we shared together for pennies from last Sabbath. I want to review with you the, the, the annual weather pattern of Palestine. Israel, in Israel, farmers know there are only two seasons. All right, just two. What are the two seasons again, those of you who were, who were here last week? What are, what, are the, what are the two seasons? Yep, right. Wet and dry. Begins with a wet, ends with a dry. They have, the, they have this wet season. It actually stretches from the fall all the way to the spring. Intermittent rain. But it is, it is bookended by two major rainfalls. The early rains are what come in the autumn. 
You need the early rains because that softens up the soil. Then the, the farmer can get the seed way down deep and that seed is going to really grow. So you have this, this first major rainfall, early rain. Then you have the late rains or the latter rains. They are the spring rains. The crops have been growing all through the wet season and you need the latter rain now to just to bring those heads to, a, to the golden shock of harvest. What James is saying is, hey, God also has two major rainfalls. One with which to begin the planting season of Christianity. That's the day of Pentecost, getting those seeds down deep. Those seeds are going to go on multiplying all the way to the end of time. One major fall at the beginning, and James is just as clear, even as there are early rains, there will be latter rains. Something that's going to get that final harvest, bring it up to, to full, ready maturity. The latter rain. There will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the end of the history of the Christian church. Just as there was a first coming right here, there will be a second coming of the Holy Spirit. It is yet ahead. Now, you're absolutely right. He never, he, he never left us. Oh, my. He has never left us. But I'm telling you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Pardon the Queen's English. Let me put a couple, couple sentences up here. Let's go to Great Controversy. What's this page number? Great Controversy, page 611. Well, tired of pointing at myself. Let's try this one. Yeah, there we go. Great Controversy, page 611. All right. The great work of the Gospel is not to close with less manifestation of the power of God than marked its opening. Look at this, folks. Was it big time? Oh, my. The story of Acts 2? Wow. But the, the final outpouring will not be any less than that. In fact, get this, it'll be more. Let's go to Christ Object Lessons, page 121. These scenes are to be repeated and with greater power. The scenes of Acts 2. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former or early rain, but the latter rain, hallelujah, you're living in the season of the latter rain, the latter rain will be more abundant. Oh, my friends. It's no wonder that when the apocalypse gets into this metaphor and it describes the second coming of the Holy Spirit in those supercharged, dramatic, supernatural depictions in Revelation chapter 18, it's no wonder it uses the words, well, let's put Revelation 18.1, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven. This is the second coming of the Holy Spirit. Joins with the three angels. Final blitz to earth. Come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with His glory. My friends, mark it in your heart, if not in your notes. It is the second coming of the Holy Spirit and that second coming is yet ahead which leads us back to the letter we read just a few moments ago with the question, okay, come on. What in the world does Jesus' thief in the night metaphor have to do with Jesus' upper room promise of this friend who would be with us for the rest of the journey and forever? Five weeks ago, you know what I said? Hey, there's no connection. There just is no connection. But now, after carefully reading Norman Gully's new book, Christ is Coming, the paradigm has shifted for me and I am compelled to share the shift with you. Here we go. Let's go back to uh, Revelation 3. I want to end here. Revelation 3. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. I want to read that line one more time. The letter from Jesus. Revelation 3, verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you.
I will come to you like a thief. Over the decades past, Seventh, you know what we've done at Seventh-day Adventist? We, we've read those words. We say, hey, psh, shrugged them off. Cannot be. This warning certainly doesn't apply to me because I am going to know when the end is near. Sure am. Because you see, I'm watching. I'm waiting for the mark of the beast. Whatever that is. You know, first there will be the national and then the global religio-political church-state alliance that will seek to dictate the moral consciences of all people, commanding them to honor a prescribed day of worship contrary to the Bible Sabbath. And when I see those events come to pass according to prophecy, I'm telling you, piece of cake, I now know that the end of all things is truly very near and I shall make appropriate preparations. Now, my friends, I, I realize there's not a one of us that has overtly expressed it quite that way. But there is, and he, herein lies my concern, there is the subtle, unspoken understanding that we possess enough of the inner secrets to end-time prophecy that we surely will not be. We surely cannot be caught off by Christ's thief in the knife return to earth for the national and global laws will be a divine tip-off. And then we'll know. But then along comes Norman Gully with a disturbing query. What if? What if the thief in the night experience for prophetic insiders is not the second coming of Christ, but is instead the second coming of the Holy Spirit? What if? It were that experience that threatens to catch this community of faith off guard, asleep, and unprepared. What if, in fact, hold on now, what if, in fact, the very strategy of the enemy, that were it, to keep this community of faith that is so certain it knows the times and seasons by watching for a geo-religious political law, what if the enemy knew that if he stealthily cloaked all such religio-political maneuverings beyond the eyes of prophetic observers, he could catch the majority of that community of faith by surprise. What if there were no sign announcing the impending second coming of the Holy Spirit? What if it were the next apocalyptic event to take place with no precursor, no portent, no herald, no sign? It will simply come. What if? If it could, then it would be possible for a vast majority of this community of faith to be caught utterly off guard and unprepared as the latter rain falls. I want to share with you a line that really has caused my soul at least to tremble. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Review and Herald, March 2, 1897. This is pretty somber stuff, I realize. Only those who are living up to the light they have will receive greater light. Now, don't you start getting mad at God. Say, well, well, what is this? No, come on. That's just the way it works. I had somebody, I, I had to be at a committee late uh, in the night this last week, and somebody was here. He said, hey, I heard your sermon on the radio, and I live in another state. And so I came here because I have some new light for you. Take all these papers home and read them. Folks, I'm telling you what. 
Just don't get excited about this new light stuff. We aren't even living up to the light we have. Why would somebody send new light? What is this? Live up to the light you have. That's what that sentence is all about. Only those who are living up to the light they have will receive greater light. Unless we are daily advancing in the exemplification of the active Christian virtues. We're having a little problem with the connection from the mezzanine control room to here. I'm just letting you folks know we're, we're getting a little uh, interruption here. I want to go back because of that to the uh, previous slide. Thank you. Unless we are daily advancing in the exemplification of the active Christian virtues. You say, oh man, that's more bad. Bad news. Are you kidding? What are the active Christian virtues? Be like Jesus, this my song. In the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. Isn't that it? I would be like Jesus. I'm telling you folks, that's it. Those, those are the active Christian virtues. Be like Jesus wherever you go. Is that bad news or good news? Oh, come on. It's good news. But here comes the, here comes the stunning sentence. Unless, unless we're dis displaying these active Christian virtues, we shall not recognize the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the latter rain. Now, notice this here. It may be falling on hearts all around us, but we shall not discern it. I mean, I tremble when I see that sentence. Do you know what that means? That means I maybe could be the one saying, hey, come on, guys, I'm telling you what, this is, this is, this is fanaticism. <laughs> what is all this prayer stuff? Don't get excited about it. People have been doing this for decades. I'm telling you, you've got to make a buck. You've got to do your thing. You've got you to have fun. God will take care of it. You know, when God wants to get us ready, He will jolly well get us ready. In the meantime, go on. I tremble. One line. How did that line go? It may be falling on hearts all around us, but we shall not discern it. Ladies and gentlemen, for this community of faith, the second coming of the Holy Spirit is the thief in the night. There will be no advance warning. No preparatory sign. No global prophetic event. Aha! Well, now we know what's going to come. Nope. Ladies and gentlemen, He could come at any time in that outpour. Any time. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. My spirit shall not always strive with human flesh. Any time He wants, He may come. If I am not preparing now, I will not be ready then. And I will be lost. When that rain comes, there's not a little, uh, there's not a little, well, now, now get it together. It, it's over. It's, that's it. If I am not preparing now, I will not be ready then, and I will be lost. After preaching, Paul says, preaching that I myself should be a castaway in the end. Unless we are preparing for the second coming of the Holy Spirit, we will never be ready for the second coming of Jesus. Period. Well then, shall we prepare for this friendly thief in the night? By the way, come on, hey, I remind you, he's our friend. This is not bad news. 
This is very good news. I will be with you forever. I will help you prepare. Do you think I want to catch you off guard? No. I am your forever friend. I will be with you. How can we prepare for this final, apocalyptic, supernatural outpouring? Now, the question begs to be asked. And I end with this quotation. Don't these words practically cry out to us? Review and Herald, March 2, 18, March 22, rather, 1887. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. The greatest and most urgent. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on, Dwight. We've got other things to do. I mean, we've got to prepare. You know, we've got another generation that has to get out in the world. want them to do well. want them to succeed. Of course, of course. But a revival among us of true godliness is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. How does it go? To seek this should be our first work. Our Heavenly Father, I love this, the words of Christ, our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it is our work. You see, there are some who will come along and say, I'm telling you, you don't do anything. You just sit back. Jesus gives. Jesus gives. Hallelujah, Jesus gives. My friend, Jesus gives. But you have to get with it when He gives. There is not this little just, it'll happen to me by and by. Because by and by, it will be over and it won't have happened. I mean, people will be scratching their heads saying, what is going on here? What is everybody so excited about? There's no ladder rain. And when it's over, it's over. You don't have to give, turn the shower back on. I missed it. You missed it. You missed it. You missed it. I'm not trying to threaten you. Because I'm preaching to myself. But it suddenly occurred to me that this event is tied to no other precursor. It simply will come when the sovereign God says, that's it. Let's give it now. Uh, Our Heavenly Father, let's go back to this quotation. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it is our work. Okay, jot these down if you wish. You want four things? Four preparations? Here they are. But it is our work by one, confession, two, humiliation, three, repentance, and four, earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us His blessing. Final sentence. A revival need be expected only in answer to what? What does it say? To what? To prayer. Somebody is asking, must be, must be. How shall we prepare for the second coming of the Holy Spirit? Throw wide the door to Him. Let's put these four back up on the screen. Throw wide the door to Him. Let's put it up. What shall I do? Step number one. Confession. That's admitting my failure. Number two. Let's go to number two. Humiliation. Admitting my weakness. Number three. Repentance, forsaking my sins. And number four, earnest prayer. That's got to be ask and just ask and ask and ask and ask. Ladies and gentlemen, for those four reasons, we are convening a focused corporate prayer opportunity for all of you, all of us, on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Students, faculty, Community. We had the largest attendance we have had in years as we just began last Wednesday night. I'd love to have you there. There is no sermon. 
There's no Bible study. It's 45 minutes. We were walking out of here at 7.45. Three different venues of prayer, but it's prayer. It's prayer the whole way. We'll change the style so that you know, you're not just on your knees for 45 minutes. No way. But it's praying. Why are we praying? In humility, we are asking God to remove whatever it is that might be blocking Him from the fullness of this forever friend's power being displayed in our lives. You know that banner in the corner of our church? That has to be the truth. We can only move forward in this new millennium on our knees. Little boy racing to catch the school bus. Late again, panting, out of breath, finally arrives at the bus stop just in time to see the taillights of the school bus vanish around the corner. He's missed the bus again. A bystander standing in those early morning shadows saw it all and he remarked to the boy, Too bad, Sonny. You just didn't run fast enough. To which the honest boy gulped back, Oh no, sir. I ran fast enough. I just didn't start soon enough. I know Andrews University, with all of its rich gifts, has the capacity to run real fast. But I am concerned that we may not start soon enough. And then it will be too late. The words of the Lord Jesus Himself. Remember then what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Won't you please join me in seeking to prepare for the second coming of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Let's pray a hymn together. Let's pray the first and last stanzas of a beautiful prayer together. Open up your hymnal, please. To hymn 260. It's a beautiful prayer. And I love the chorus. Fill me now, fill me now, Jesus. Won't you fill me now? Let's sing the first stanza and the last stanza. And make this the beginning of a praying of that very prayer. Oh, Jesus, You've heard our prayer. With everything in our hearts, we want to mean what we have just asked. You said at the end of that letter, let those who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying. And so, Holy Christ, I ask that I might have ears to hear what You are saying. Is there something down deep in this heart that is taking up space and is the reason you can't feel me now? Oh, Jesus, I know you're not going to take it away, but I pray for a holy courage to throw it out and to throw wide the door and to say, please, feel me now. I pray for this university and this congregation. Oh God, if there is anything 
that is preventing your filling us. Help us, show us, and grant us the courage to act for the sake of our forever friend. Fill us now, fill us now, Jesus, please. Fill us now. For your glory alone, we pray this prayer. Amen.